This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Good afternoon, everyone, on this foggy, mozzy old day. I don't know what it's like in your neck of the woods, but uh, we've seen a lot of fog in recent days here, and my knees will tell you the same. Well, this is the time of year when many fisheries are getting underway. The fishery, of course, in Newfoundland and Labrador is a billion-dollar industry, so a lot rides on quotas, availability of a variety of stocks, and sustainable management. But what is the true picture of um, what the stocks are like out there? DFO Science Branch provides the stock assessments to inform policy and decision makers, but when things aren't looking so good, they have significant and immediate impacts on harvesters and communities. Well, my guest today, Dr. Robert Rangeley, is Director of Science with Oceana Canada, which is watching the health of our oceans with the aim of protection and sustainable use of the oceans. Hello. Hi, Linda. Thanks for the invitation to your show. Yes, no problem. So I guess we'll start with, uh, and we've had you on the show before, but for anybody who doesn't know, what is Oceana Canada's mandate? Yeah, we're a conservation group, so we're a non-government organization, and uh, we're solely a Canadian organization, although we're linked to our global or uh, global Oceana and our, our mandate really can be summed up by our uh, sort of slogan, uh, save the oceans, feed the world. And uh, a large part of our activities and campaigns are focused on um, helping to rebuild stocks by putting, you know, making sure we have the right policies and management in place and the partnerships and so on and the science to uh, rebuild our fisheries for the benefits of uh, coastal communities. Uh, we've feel that um, globally, and this includes in Canada, uh, we are underperforming in our fisheries and the future value and the future source of protein and nutrition can uh, certainly be met uh, with a growth in our our fisheries. So we really want to see the rebuilding of abundance. And I think, uh, you know, Newfoundlanders and Labradorians as a whole would echo that. But, of course, that requires some decision-making, and sometimes decision-making is a tough process, and sometimes people don't like the decisions that are made. Uh, They see other options. Um, But the federal government recently announced its commitment to regenerating fish stocks, requiring rebuilding plans for dozens of major species. What's, What's your response to that? Well, it's long overdue, and it's a it's a it's a wonderful addition to the uh, amended Fisheries Act a couple of years ago. So now we have the application of that Fisheries Act on uh, about fish stocks with us uh, with the new regulations requiring rebuilding plans, and they apply to actual stocks. So there's a, a batch of stocks in these current set of regulations, and we're expecting later this year another batch of stocks and eventually all Canadian stocks will fall under these regulations, which means that when stocks, it certainly requires, there's obligations for fisheries and oceans to ensure that fish stocks are harvested sustainably sustainably, and to put rebuilding plans in place for those that are depleted. 
And so, uh, you know, we've got a, a large number of stocks that are currently depleted. Uh, they have no rebuilding plans. The few that do, the rebuilding plans actually aren't very good. And so along with these regulations comes some guidance for what should be in place for a rebuilding plan, a target. Uh, we want to get them out, all these stocks out of the critical zone and start to rebuild them up to the healthy zone. So that means taking a very precautionary approach, and in some instances that means shutting down a fishery, unfortunately, um, to allow the stock to regrow out of this critical zone and um, and then you know starting harvest levels from there under a current plan and a, uh, up to the stock getting to the healthy zone. So we're, we're very excited about this. It finally puts some teeth in it. We've been calling for this for years. Um, some may uh, be familiar with uh, Oceana's annual fishery audit. We've done five of them now. The fifth one was released uh, last November. And uh, every year we've been calling for um, taking away some of this discretion about how to set quotas, whether to rebuild stocks or put effort into rebuilding stocks, whether to create a rebuilding plan or not. And now it's um, it, this is strengthened uh, with this new um, new passing of these regulations. So what does a rebuilding plan mean? What will it, would it typically look like? Well, it, it, it means, you know, setting, setting the targets, so how you're going to get there. It means adjusting harvest rates uh, to a level of which will allow the stock to continually rebuild. So there's sort of a harvest control rules that sets the, basically sets the rules for uh, how much can be taken and what to do if uh, abundance levels um, either increase or decrease. And so it does require a certain amount of science. We need the stock assessments, how many fish are out there, um, an estimate of the biomass of the fish in the sea in that stock area, uh, in addition to good estimates of uh, mortality. And that's another sort of gap we have and we've seen repeatedly and for many of our stocks is the uh, absence of good science on uh, sort of total fishing mortality and natural mortality. So uh, you need those parts of the equation to actually, uh, in addition to, you know, birth rates and recruitment rates of the stock to uh, judge how much to take in a year. And, um, and you need to take a sort of a multi-year approach to this and factor in some of the environmental fluctuations that may affect our, uh, the biology of these stocks. And I guess that's the crux of some of the, the problematic elements of all of this, because you were talking about fishing mortality and, and really finding out what the cause of uh, fish mortality uh, is, because a lot of fish harvesters will argue they're not the only cause of these so-called removals from the, from the system. Uh, there's a lot more going on out there in the ecosystem. Do we have a strong enough understanding of what's happening and what's contributing to um, uh, fish mortality? Uh, that's a pretty broad question, uh, you know, across all the stocks. For some, there's certainly better knowledge than others. Um, it's also the understanding the contribution of that to uh, the growth of the stock. So you need to know a little bit more about the biology, whether the, the fish are in good condition. So, for example, with northern cod, 
not only is the stock deep into the critical zone, but it's also known to be, um, uh, you know, sort of poor condition. There's certainly uh, DFO signs showing that the stock, uh, the you know, individual cod are um, not feeding enough, and that's probably linked in part to uh, uh, the collapse of the capelin fishery, which we may talk about. Um, so, so you need to understand a little bit more about the biology. And um, for some stocks, there's a fair amount known. For capelin, which was um, uh, we released a report this week on the on the capelin stock, and um, we and certainly industry uh, agree with one another that uh, there needs to be more science, and we think that um, the department has dropped the ball over the years. Um, on providing sufficient science to actually have a uh, clear answers to, you know, how many capel are there and how many can be fished. Now, I understand that some of these species already have recovery plans, and a lot of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians will tell you, well, you know, it's been 30 years since the cod moratorium, and there's been no appreciable increase in in those stocks. They've come up a little bit, but they're still deep in that critical zone. So, um, you know, how effective are these rebuilding plans? Well, so, you know, rebuilding plan is... is Sort of your roadmap and tells you what to do. That you, we we can't enhance the stock. Uh, we can't do much about natural mortality, whether it's um, you know predation, prey, or uh, you know environmental conditions. Um, with the caveat that I think there's a strong interaction between depletion of capelin and cod, and I think there is something we can do for cod by uh, rebuilding capelin stocks, but. Generally, we can't do much about those. What we can control is uh, fishing mortality. And uh, two things about the northern cod stock is um, too many cod are being taken in the commercial fishery. It went up too fast with, uh, you know, encouraging signs of of growth, but that was stalled. And um, and so you got to keep those uh, that harvest level, you know, very moderate. Um, and then there's, you know, a recreational fishery, which DFO isn't monitoring. So the, there's a lot of unknown mortality coming from a recreational fishery. And we see the same thing with mackerel. Mackerel had to be closed, closed to commercial fishery, but there's still an unknown amount taken in, the, uh, in a recreational fishery. So, so, you know, a dead fish is a dead fish. <laughs> and, and if we don't actually account for all the kinds of mortality that uh, at least we can we can manage, uh, then we're not doing, we're kind of fishing in the dark, I guess I would say. So to speak. <laughs> um, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of uh, the cod uh, fishery and northern cod and, and the cod moratorium, I think it's hard for some people because it's been such a long time now since the moratorium was declared. Yeah. It's yeah. hard for people to imagine what the biomass once was compared to what it is now. Have you got any facts and figures on that? Oh sure, I mean it's it's down to like oh geez, it, it, it's down to just a small percentage of its historical biomass for sure. I think uh, you know there was what eight hundred thousand tons taken out in the late '60s, and that was probably the sort of the beginning of the end and uh, uh, you know sort of high fishing mortality. And there's a lot of uncounted uh, fishing mortality out there. Um, 
And so, you know, the biomass, it went down to probably 1% of historical levels and, and has risen somewhat over uh, recent years. Um, and you, you're, you're sort of indirectly pointing to what I think is a, a really important consideration. And this has been pointed out in fisheries quite a number of times and people have trouble wrapping their head around it. And it's this shifting baseline. And we've seen this with fisheries all around the world and people get you know when when overfishing's occurred stocks are heavily depleted for years and years and years people get used to seeing a certain level of sort of low stock abundance and they think that's well that's good that's that's a normal and and it's not it's not it's not only normal and healthy for that stock it's not healthy for that ecosystem but it's also you know, not very good way to run a you know a business plan. What we you know for a sustainable, profitable um, uh, fishery, if we're only fishing uh, stocks that are depleted or performing so poorly, um, I think I'd like to come back to Capelin to point out that um, as an example of that where our capelin stock's been depleted for, and this is the northern capelin stock, the same sort of range as northern cod. It's been depleted for, you know, about 30 years, and overfishing is clearly the driver here. And um, these kind of stocks, capelin are what many of us would call a forage fish. So many things eat them and rely on them. Uh, They're very nutritious. They're small. They're schooling. Yeah, and I wanted to talk to you specifically about capelin um, when we come back after the break because I I can feel like we're going in in that direction and and we do have to take a break now. But, yeah, I want to talk to you specifically about capelin when we come back right after this. My guest today is Dr. Robert Rangeley, Director of Science with Oceana Canada. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target. One hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. My guest today is Dr. Robert Rangeley, Director of Science with Oceana Canada. And uh, Robert, I had to cut you off there because you were starting to get into the capelin. And and really, you've been linking the cod with the capelin uh, throughout the course of our conversation here. And as we all know, capelin are a main food source for a wide variety of species, including northern cod. So what is the actual health of the capelin stock well it's not good and this this creates a a, it's a really fascinating story unfortunately the stock isn't doing well but um there's a couple factors you know how we talked about cod being in the critical zone and uh, a large number of our fisheries are in the critical zone lacking rebuilding plans capelin's actually what in what dfo would categorize as uncertain so they don't have a proper stock assessment to categorize it under the precautionary framework of either critical, cautious, or a healthy stock. However, um, the uh, stock update and uh, the assessment that came out last year was such that um, DFO themselves were incredibly concerned about this stock. It's at 6% of its historic biomass levels low larval productivity and you know basically just not an optimistic forecast and so oceana in our report that we put out this week will ask the question well can we learn more about this stock and the uncertain status and we applied 
into all of Canada's uncertain stocks, uh, an assessment methodology that's designed around uh, for low data. And actually, it turns out there's a fair amount of data that DFO isn't using uh, with respect to CAPE on it involves the catch and some biological information and expert inputs on the uh, biomass of the stock. And uh, and that reinforced um, our resolve here and understanding that uh, their concerns that they published last year, DFO's concerns last year, that yes, indeed, this stock is not only in serious trouble, uh, but it is, um, in, in, you know, deep in the critical zone. And so the thing we see with uh, Capelin, as with other forage fish, these sort of small, fast-growing, schooling fish, Everything eats them because they're so nutritious, you know, rich in oils and so on. As many Newfoundlanders know, when you go down and to the beach and you know pick them up on the on the when they roll in the gravel, spawning their eggs, um, they boom and bust, and it's not uncommon. So during the same thirty years, this stock has been collapsed in Canada. Continue to fish those capelin during sort of this low level of abundance. In other words, we keep fishing during the bust. Whereas in Norway and Iceland during the same 30 year period, they have closed the fishery five times, a couple of years, and then seen tremendous um, uh, recruitment and uh, fish hard on the booms. So in other words, we're just scraping the barrel here uh, for Capelin and what could be a very lucrative fishery. In fact, it could support 11 times the current harvest levels if we just give it a chance to recover. And it will recover, but you gotta lay off the fishery. Give you an idea what the fishery is currently doing. Uh, The 15,000 tons that was allocated last year, um, they're intercepting all these egg-bearing females. That 15,000 tons literally translates into hundreds of millions of egg-bearing females. And just the back of an envelope calculation, that translates into literally trillions, that's with a T, trillions of eggs that don't get spawned on the beaches. Now, once people want to go in and pick up those, you know, the sort of the local harvest for uh, capon on the beach, that's perfectly fine because they've spawned and it's sustainable and most of those fish won't survive anyway. It's that interception of those fish before they get to the beach that's not giving them a chance for some small proportion, yes, but some proportion of those eggs that don't get uh, deposited on the on the shore to uh, contribute to the next generation. So we're, you know, very clearly the stock is low productivity. Um, they're not showing up in the stomachs of cod, so there's not enough around to help cod out. Uh, we know, you know, our seabird populations, the mirrors and the puffins rely on them as to humpback whales. And yes, lots of things eat them, including seals. But the point is, is that that's kind of their role in the ecosystem. And the thing we can control as humans is to make sure we allow stocks to build to a certain stage where we can harvest that kind of surplus production and do that in theory indefinitely instead of, uh, you know, overfishing and uh, getting very little value out of what could potentially be and has been in the past a very lucrative fishery. So when we say 
it's time to close this fishery and allow it to rebuild. That's a pro-fishing stance. We're saying it is time to look to the future and the value of the future of our fisheries and uh, invest in it. And it's an investment. It's a business investment. It's an investment in the, you know, in the ecosystem and in, in our fisheries. So what are the impediments then in, in closing this fishery, let's say, for a year, two years, three years? Well, you know, we started out this chat about the uh, New Fisheries Act regulations. And, um, and you know, we're starting to see a change in government. Um, they recognize with these regulations that it's, it is time to stop fishing critically depleted stocks and to require rebuilding. So that is what needs to happen. And we've seen recently, uh, and again, it's unfortunate, it's a reflection of past mismanagement, but the current fisheries minister had to make some tough decisions, uh, close Pacific herring stocks, close one of the Gulf herring stocks, and close down mackerel. That's the kind of decision that has to be made to allow them to rebuild. And all those stocks are what I was just referring to as forage fish, and so they have a an outsized role in the ecosystem. They're extremely valuable for so many other things, including things we like to eat, like, you know, halibut and cod and so on. So, you know, that's what has to happen. No one wants to go there, but it's, uh, it's you know, it's an inevitable a lack of uh, inevitable inevitability of not having made, you know, decisions earlier on before we get to this stage. And what about foreign fisheries? Because, um, you know, if you close the stock here in, in Newfoundland and Labrador, and it is, it, it, you know, it does have a dollar figure attached to it, of course, um, and yet you, you still have foreign uh, trawlers picking them up before they even come inshore. Um, how does that help? What, you know, what is the answer there? Uh, I'm not aware that foreign Fishing is a major factor uh, with respect to capelin, if that's what you're referring to, or northern cod, for that matter. Historically, it was, absolutely. Uh, you know, we used to have foreign trawlers, you know, three miles offshore. Uh, now with the 200-mile limit and NAFO management on the straddling stocks and outside our EEZ, um, you know, that's management of that is, is um, much more rigorous. Uh, with respect to mackerel, it is it is managed in a transboundary way with the U.S. and Canada, and the U.S. made uh, drastic cuts to their um, uh, to their mackerel quota as well. So there was some concern that Americans were taking you know the same stock, and uh, they've reduced it a lot. So um, I don't think that's the biggest factor. I think what the major factor is, is are the things we've been talking about, the things that we can control. And, um, and again, uh, you know, we've done the economic studies in past years on future value of rebuilding. Um, you know, the biological evidence is, is clearly there uh, that the stock can rebuild if you give them half a chance. Um, yes, many will say, well, if we don't take them, predators will get them. Well, that's kind of the role in the ecosystem. Other predators will take them. Uh, our role is to manage uh, behavior of 
uh, all sources of human mortality, uh, whether it's recreational fishing, bait fishing, you know, commercial fishing, and um, and take that surplus production. And there will be surplus production. That's the whole premise of uh, good fisheries management. And that surplus production has shown time and time again to be much more lucrative than um, uh, you know poorly managed uh, poor poor fisheries management. My guest today on On Target is Dr. Robert Rangeley, Director of Science with Oceana Canada. We'll be back right after this. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And my guest today is Dr. Robert Rangeley, Director of Science with Oceana Canada. And um, uh, Robert, you were talking about uh, Oceana's, I guess, campaign to, uh, at least in uh, temporarily anyway, uh, shut down the Capelin fishery. Do you expect to see the Capelin fishery shut down as a result of these new federal regulations? It's the right thing to do. Uh, the minister has closed other fisheries recently. Um, all, there's a lot of evidence to support a closure. Um, nobody wants to see a closure. It's a really tough decision for a minister to make. But, you know, um, we would not like to be in the position of recommending that. Uh, but let's, you know, not only do we need to face the facts, um, you know, what's the alternative? Uh, status quo well, I'd, I'd ask listeners, has status quo been working? Look at look at COD, look at Capelin. They've followed a similar trajectory. You know, 30 years, isn't it time to maybe try something different? And, um, and the benefits are just so clear. You know, you do the math. Um, we've certainly done the math on, as I was mentioning, for Capelin, uh, you know, for COD, the amount of employment, the increased economic activity, um, and rebuilding can happen, you know, we're talking periods of time of, you know, five or ten years for some stocks. Um, like when I mentioned Norway and Iceland, they close them for a couple years. Uh, then they benefit from, a, you know, uh, a boom. So I don't know, you know, we just, you know, we're passionate about this. We think, you know, this is... This is something that um, we need to look at all our fish stocks. We're, we're not, you know, we're, we're not advocating, you know, putting people out of work. <laughs> you know, that that's that's a tough pill. Sometimes it has to be swallowed. Um, but I put that right back on poor management decisions of the past uh, when uh, fisheries ministers have, you know, doled out you know, quotas that, you know, just made no sense at all, but, you know, it was politically, you know, for the short view of things, maybe a smart thing to do, you know, they get more votes maybe, uh, but um, it doesn't make any sense anymore. Not in, uh, you know, a modern world where we, uh, you know, we've got the tools to understand our, our ecosystem. The ecosystem's changing, so we have to take more of these precautionary approaches. Uh, we haven't even talked about climate change. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, sort of a, a steady, sustainable, managed approach, investment. And, um, you know, when you have to make tough decisions, make them and, and recognize there's a benefit down the road. 
I think people are too used to fisheries ministers just kind of rolling over. And uh, when people say, well, it's going to cost us jobs, that's like a, that's looking like one year at a time. And biology doesn't operate on those kind of time frames. We can't hit them really hard for years and years and years, decades, hit them being the, the, the fish, and then expect, well, you know, one more year won't matter, year after year after year. Um, you know, it's time to allow them to rebuild. And, and now it's our law. It's a requirement. And, uh, you know, we're expecting the government to live up to their uh, implementation of the Fisheries Act and the new Fisheries Act regulations. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you, because, you know, the question is, can we ever take politics out of the fishery? Do these new regulations help to do that? Well, it's been shown uh, when we do when we've done the analysis of, you know, a country by country analysis, those countries who have had the most lucrative fisheries and made the, the, the smartest decisions in terms of sustainability and rebuilding their stocks are ones that had strong laws and have taken the discretionary power of their decision makers out of the equation and followed the best available science and taken a precautionary approach. The problem, and I don't know if people realize this, but the fisheries minister has unbelievable amount of discretion um, they can override, um, you know, advice. Uh, they can make decisions uh, politically that are make no sense at all from a, uh, uh, you know, with respect to the objectives of having a sustainable fishery. And um, and now we're seeing that being recognized by this government that um, maybe we should, you know, we should strengthen the Fisheries Act and strengthen the regulations and take that part out of the equation. It doesn't benefit anybody. All it benefits is a little bit more fishing in the short term at the expense of a lot more fishing in the long term. My guest today on On Target is Dr. Robert Rangeley, Director of Science with Oceana Canada. We'll be back right after this. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. And we're back. My guest today on, on Target is Dr. Robert Rangeley, Director of Science with Oceana Canada. And you, you mentioned in the last uh, segment, uh, Robert, that we haven't even touched on climate change lately. And when I'm thinking about uh, the Capelin in particular, um, you know, in recent years, a lot of people here have observed that uh, the Capelin rolling in have, has been later and later and later, although it seems mm -hmm. to have settled back to some normal time frames now. But, I mean, one year was in August or September, unheard of in my lifetime anyway. Um, so, you know, what is the impact of climate change on these stocks, Capelin, Cod, and others? Well, that's, that's the big question, isn't it? Um, so uh, let me just step back a little bit and... Uh, just it's irrefutable that climate change is having an impact on our oceans and we're seeing it time and time again i think I'll, I'll step away a little bit from this these these fish and just point out one that's you know been in the news constantly now for the last few years is the shift in the 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 plankton these what they call what we call calanoid copepods 
and they shifted their distribution into the Gulf of St. Lawrence and the North Atlantic right whale followed their food source. And suddenly the North Atlantic right whale, which are, I think as everyone knows, and in one of the most endangered large whales, um, was in a whole new environment, uh, a very busy place with uh, uh, fishermen with their crab traps not being used to whales there, and they were getting entangled, and ship strikes and everything else. So that's a really clear example of how uh, a major shift in a species, these small, what we call zooplankton, um, was a result of climate change and had massive effects on other species. And so there's lots of stories. Uh, there's like marine heat waves that are occurring in the Pacific coast and have impacted a lot of species. And we're seeing shifts, uh, temperature-driven shifts and so on in our Atlantic waters. Um, most of the good science on that is being done by either DFO scientists or academic scientists. And it hasn't found its way, uh, in, for the most part, into um management of our fish stocks and um, but what I can say for certain is that um, there's a risk that what we think is happening based on our historical knowledge and you just had a perfect anecdote for that about how you've seen the shift in uh, cape and spawning on the beaches uh, if, if we're going to forecast our our fisheries, either where we fish or how much we're going to take on what we've known in the past, I think we're going to be hitting some surprises because the future, the past isn't going to predict the future as well as it may have in other times. So um, we're really calling on the federal government to start to step up our assessment of species vulnerabilities, just what you asked. Uh, what is the vulnerability of, for example, northern cod or capelin? Uh, to the forecasts of uh, climate change and you know what are the implications of that for how we uh, both assess the stocks, forecast how many are going to be there in the future and uh, and then adjust harvest rates in in accordance with that. In the meantime, it just puts a premium on taking a precautionary approach to every action we take in our ocean and to try to assess what those effects are of uh, climate change. Politically speaking, why have we placed so much doubt on the science that is occurring? Because there is quite a bit of science being done out there and, and uh, the data is being accrued and, and the decisions are, are left to the politicians who are you know, assessing all of this. Uh, why have we placed so much doubt on that? Well, it's a good question. I mean, you know, you can always poke holes in science. Science isn't, science always changes. You, you know, you learn more, you do the science, you make more observations, you adjust your science. Um, and it's the best we've got. Otherwise, we're just basing decisions on hearsay or anecdotes. Now that those anecdotes may be important to ask the right scientific questions, but they're not necessarily how we're going to, um, how we should be uh uh, making decisions on quotas, for example. There's another source of uh, very useful evidence, um, and it's you know it can come from fishermen, but it can also come from um, you know centuries worth of indigenous knowledge and practices 
and incorporating that into decision making. And so I think what we're going to see in the future is um, other sources of information and knowledge coming into informing decisions and taking a, an approach that isn't just so narrowly focused on one species or even one stock of a species that's more widely distributed um, and look more uh, holistically at the ecosystem. Uh, we're not there yet. And so, and you know, when all's said and done, we have to know how many cod are in, how many northern cod are there to make decisions about uh, how many to take. But, um, but clearly they don't live in isolation. Um, clearly there's a lot of historical knowledge that isn't being mined for you know, understanding their their interactions. Um, you know, I mentioned, and you know, everyone knows. You know, the sort of relationship between capon and cod. That's a very simplistic interaction. Happens to be a very important one because we're fishing both the predator and the prey. But um, but there's a lot more we can learn. And and with the uh, you know the growth in um, climate change, I, I think we we need to be much more tuned to. Um, how the ecosystem's changing and all the other species, the, the prey of capelin and so on. And there's some good science being done on that, don't get me wrong, and it's not that people aren't asking those questions, it's just that it's got to find its way into uh, decision making. And, uh, you know, if there's doubters on science, on the science, then um, there's a process in Canada for bringing other evidence to bear on the uh, on the stock assessment and management decision-making. Uh, and that's open. So, uh, you know, don't just wave your hands and say, I don't like the science. I, you know, I think there's, uh, you know, 10 times more caught out there than DFO saying, provide some evidence. And, um, uh, and in the absence of that, as imperfect as the science may be, it's kind of all we got. And we want to continually improve that. There's all sorts of problems. Uh, the union has pointed them out. Uh, you know, the problems with survey vessels and, you know, breaks in the data. Uh, you know, are we collecting the right kind of data? Those are all legitimate questions. Um, but we still have to do the best we have with the data. There will never be perfect science and there will never be complete information. So we have to make our, uh, you know, wise precautionary decisions based on a foundation of you know the best available fishery science we have and uh and just simply you know manage and not over harvest and we've got less than two minutes left and i wanted to talk about sure. you know uh, you know working with other countries as well because the what you were t saying about the indigenous knowledge is ever so important it's so important uh but also with other countries because of course ocean currents and this conveyor belt that's moving everything around in the sure. ocean uh you know there might be findings in the north sea that will affect us yeah yeah and uh you know it, it is connected the you know the the Gulf Stream goes in the other direction, but uh, it goes from our waters to their waters. But uh, we've seen that. Would you take my point? <laughs> where, where there's a where there is a shift in the Gulf Stream, so we're seeing warmer. A good example of that is where the the Gulf of Maine is warming up, and we're seeing an increase in uh, lobsters because they like the colder water and the Canadian water. So we may be benefiting there. Um, 
and, and so on. So we will see, there is no question, we will see uh, range changes, the change in the distribution of species that are able to move um, in response to water temperatures. They'll either go to deeper, colder waters. I think that was recently seen for uh, some of the shrimp stocks um, in the Gulf where they went to deeper, colder water because the Gulf, the Gulf of St. Lawrence is warming up. Uh, or they'll shift uh, to more northern latitudes. Dr. Robert Rangeley, Director of Science with Oceana Canada. Fascinating conversation. Thank you very much. I No doubt I'll be inviting you back at a, a future date. I really appreciate your time this afternoon. Well, thank you very much, Linda. I appreciate it. Thank you. And have a great weekend. You too. And have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, We'll be back on Monday, so tune in then. Um, Take care, and thanks for listening.